The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Scorebox in the headlines. The U.S. equity rally runs out of steam despite a surprise decline in wholesale prices for July. But long-term yields move higher on rising hopes the Federal Reserve can achieve a soft landing. Shares in Zanoffi, GSK and Halion take a hammering over ongoing litigation relating to a recalled heartburn drug. But all three companies are distancing themselves from the fallout. UK energy bills are now seen topping £5,000 a year, with those soaring prices expected to hit GDP due out in just under an hour's time. Rivian shares reverse in extended trade, with the EV maker posting a second quarter loss of $1.7 billion and warns of further losses for the year. So good morning, everybody. U.S. wholesale prices falling for the first time in over two years in July. It's the latest signal inflation may be beginning to cool stateside following Wednesday's easing CPI reading. The producer price index rose 9.8% year-on-year in July. That is the lowest rate since October 21 and down half a percentage point from June. U.S. initial jobless claims hit their highest level of the year, coming in at 262,000 for the week ending August 6th. That's an increase of 14,000 claims have been on an upward trend since hitting a 50-year low in March. Continuing claims, an indicator for citizens receiving unemployment benefits, up by 8,000 on the week to 1.43 million. The figures point to ongoing strength in the U.S. labor market, but also suggest that rising interest rates may be taking some of the steam out of the economy. Easing prices and a cooling labour market have many investors expecting the Fed to perhaps ease back on the pace of rate hikes at its September meeting, 50 basis points then, rather than 75 basis points. Well, the latest Fed Funds futures by CME Group now point towards almost two-thirds expecting a 50-point hike, lifting the target rate to 275 to 300 in terms of the point range. Well, Jeffrey Solomon, chairman and CEO of investment bank Cowan, told CNBC he expects the U.S. to fall into a recession as spending slows, but is also anticipating a quick bounce back. Consumers are expecting a recession because they talk about it. So they're actually slowing spending already. And we're seeing that behavior already. So if you talk about it, it eventuates. And so the market is looking through that and saying that's a real possibility. I mean, the market is saying it doesn't just because it's always uh, uh, led to a recession doesn't mean it will lead to one. And even if it is one, it could be a shallow one because we have three trillion dollars worth of deposits and the consumer is going to be OK. Producer prices, as you heard, playing ball in session. And that was a positive catalyst for the market during the trading session.
just unable to hold on to some of the numbers by the finish. As you can see, negative close for the S&P and for the Nasdaq, down almost six-tenths of one percent. The Dow still travelling higher. But if you look at uh, the course of trade for the week, we've still seen gains uh, to the tune of 1.6% for the Dow, a little bit less on the S&P 500. And the Nasdaq, of course, just tailing behind uh, gains uh, to the tune of just under 1% so far for the week before the trade today. But uh, there's been a huge focus on whether the Powell pivot is in place, whether we do, in fact, have uh, the backdrop of those slightly weaker inflation numbers setting the scene for a 50 basis point rate hike instead of 75 basis points. But still a lot of concern in the backdrop for investors concerned that perhaps we are still looking at a very aggressive pathway here, jumbo-sized rate hikes included. So that is just causing still a little bit of caution in the backdrop and, of course, a lot of earnings to weather and a lot of big numbers that have been crossing, some of them to the downside. For me, the standout really was Rivian, the extent of its losses overnight. This was a high-flying stock, the biggest IPO coming to market last year. So investors are certainly seeing the opposite side of what overvaluation can look like in a downbeat market. Two Treasury markets and what we've got at this point on the bond side, 3.20, where we purchased the short end 2.86 a slight lift off on that US 10 year yield to the dollar and it has been a very volatile period of late for the dollar as it has taken stock of what we saw first up on the jobs number the red hot jobs number then of course the CPI numbers coming in cooler than anticipated what we've got this morning sterling is on the back foot along with euro versus the greenback so a little bit of elevation there for the dollar versus the UK currency two tenths higher is what we're watching dollar also supported versus the Japanese yen so somewhat of a clawback taking place on the greenback this morning on WTI and Brent trades uh, look at how the commodity complex is faring at this stage we did gain about 2.6 percent on trade yesterday on WTI prices also firmer for the Brent price but we flipped negative today we're giving back some of that territory a little bit of risk off is impacting the commodity complex as well to the Asian markets this is uh, the state of play for Friday. Japan back in trade today after being out of action yesterday. A pop of 2.3%, so picking up on some of the rally. We've got a half of a percent on the, uh, on the Hong Kong market. The Hang Seng uh, travelling up by 112 points. China fading down a tenth and six tenths off the Australian market. I want to take it to the Nasdaq over the year-to-day performance. Uh, don't forget we've had this rally off the low, 20-odd percent lift off uh, from the lows that we've had in June, it's a fairly steep ascent, but of course, after what has been a very steep descent uh, over the course of the early part of this year so far, we're still down 18% for 2022. I want to pick up on those comments uh, with David Newhauser, who joins us now, the CIO at Livermore Partners. David, welcome back to the program. Great to catch up with you. Let me ask you about that rally because you've been warning about the sell off in tech stocks well before it even started. Now we've had a, a rally from the lows. What do you make of just how sustainable this rally is? Yeah, good morning, Karen. You know, I think at this point in time, uh, given uh, the snapback and, and rally that we've had in, in technology, you know, I think most for the most part, it's been a, a technical rally uh, off the low. Uh, there was great fear and anxiety in the market for the past several months uh, as the Fed was way behind the curve, as you know, we correctly called several months ago. So I, I think at this point in time, you know, you're seeing mixed earnings come out, uh, yet you've seen um, the tape look you know, rather strong. Uh, and again, I think it's been mainly uh, technical. So I think at this point in time, you're, you're reaching, I would say, more of the, the upper bounds of this rally. And I would expect it to fade here uh, in the coming weeks. 
David, as we talk specifically about technologies, while it has been good and bad, some of the big names reported early on were not too bad in the sector, but others have produced fairly sizable losses and a lot of cash burn in this type of a credit environment where we know the conditions have changed. But as you look at down the curve, what's now priced into some of these stocks and do you think they can weather still a further rate hike scenario that's been priced in by the markets around the Fed? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, to me, it seems like the Fed is is at this point could only be about halfway done where they need to be. Um, I think the market is expecting the Fed to stop somewhere around three and a half percent Fed funds rate uh, and to do that in a much slower, uh, gradual pace over the next several uh, meetings. I personally think it's going to they're going to be there a lot longer that we're going to need to see the Fed funds rate. Uh, get up to around four or even four and a half percent, potentially even reaching uh, 5%. So as the cost of capital uh, starts to increase meaningfully, and as that really starts to become ingrained uh, in the corporate culture, I suspect you are going to see some more issues with some of the weaker uh, players out there when it comes to cost, uh, higher burn rates, and funding uh, for the future. And thus, I think, you know, the valuations ultimately are going to become uh, head back down to uh, near the lows of the move. And I think it's just going to create a much more uh, challenging backdrop, not just for the next several months, Karen, either. I think this is going to go on for the next several years. The trouble is, David, that we're doing um, immediate analysis on current economic data and market conditions. The problem, as I see it, is that we know that there is a long lag on Fed action and then that policy taking effect here. And interesting that IIF, um, the Institutional Investment uh, Operation, have have put out a paper where they basically say that the Fed needs to decelerate the pace of monetary tightening and perhaps pause to see what the consequences of their actions so far will be on the US economy. Um, If we do get something that looks like a pause at the September meeting or even a a much lower hike than anticipated, how does that change the maths you're doing on the length of this uh, sort of bear market bounce that we're getting? Yeah, so, you know, I think that means that, that this bounce could go on a bit longer. But I think ultimately, you know, the way I look at it, Jeff, is that you know, the Fed was behind the curve and we've discussed this, you know, in the past two years and it took them uh, a great deal of time to start to, to get up to speed. So I don't think they're there yet. Um, you know, I think we've seen the inflation numbers come up very recently, a little cooler and the market, of course, has rallied as such. But in reality, you know, things don't go uh, straight to the moon. So I think, you know, today markets look artificially high uh, when you look at the inflation rate. Uh, when you look at the Fed and, and seeing the cost of capital increase, um, you know, I, I just don't see them taking their foot off the gas. If they do, again, I still think the, the rally could continue a bit longer and kind of ebb and flow. But I think ultimately, you know, fundamentals are going to matter. And in this market, you know, we haven't been living on fundamentals for quite some time uh, with all the uh the money that's been pumping into the system and we've seen M2 money supply increase meaningfully. So I think it also takes time uh, for people to really truly understand that the dynamics have changed, that the landscape has changed for the investment environment. And I think until they really truly understand that shift, 
um, you know, markets are going to be fairly range bound. But I think ultimately, uh, more than likely, it, we're going to be in a, in a bear market for quite some time. Uh, and I think the economy will dip into recession. How deep, uh, how far, how fast uh, is unsure. So, David, just just give us an insight into how you're positioning currently and whether you've made any changes to the portfolios recently. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you and I have talked, I mean, we've been heavily invested uh, in commodities. Uh, first and foremost, it's been energy. We still think that has been the one sector uh, that has been a correct call because it's been underinvestment, underinvested. Uh, there's been structural issues as far as supply, strong demand and prices are very elevated. And these companies today, as you know, you're hearing like a broken record, are, are becoming very disciplined, returning capital, buying back shares. So there is a real return you can make there. Uh, and it's aligned with inflation. Where on the other side, you know, we've been negative technology stocks now for, you know, coming on two years. It's been the correct call. But again, just like anything, things don't go in a straight line all the way down. So we've seen a nice bounce from there. You know, we've we've looked at taking in some of our short bets in Tesla and Coinbase and, and others, um, which are very, again, limited because Livermore is a special situation hedge fund. But, you know, at these valuations now, you know, I will tell you, we, we've looked to put on some of those short positions again. And um, and I think going forward, it's uh, it's going to be a. Uh, it's going to be a tricky market, uh, but I think ultimately it'll be a fundamental market. David, almost a lifetime ago now you traded oil and wheat. Uh, has been a huge focus on the soft commodities, but also the, the uh, oil complex. What do you think is happening from here? Yeah, so, so that's very interesting because, you know, you had this, uh, you had this move higher when commodities and, and with the Russian invasion, you had wheat explode, right? You had copper explode. And of course, energy explode with Brent topping $130 a barrel. And, and since that time frame, you know, we've seen all these different dynamics happen where you know grains have, have started to, to see a transport again. And we've seen softness in the global economy, which all of a sudden hits the copper market as well and iron ore. Uh, and yet, of course, you know, energy is, is front and center and, and holding relatively strong. So, you know, I think that those dynamics are still um, active today. Uh, we still like uh, copper. Uh, I think copper, uh, when you look out over the next several years, is going to be just a crucial um, uh, um, resource needed. So you're going to see more M&A. You know, we saw a de uh, deal that looked a hostile deal recently, which BHP and Oz uh, down in Australia. I think you're going to see more uh, potential for consolidation there. I think you'll also see it in the energy sector as well. So I just think ultimately the commodities is still the right space, but you have to be extremely disciplined, extremely uh, knowledgeable on which company and which commodity to own. I did think that BHP play was interesting too in terms of precursor for what could happen in the market, David. We've got a bit more time, so I want to ask you about quantitative tightening because there's been so much noise in the market from all the data on CPI, PPI, what we've seen from the Fed speakers and what's happening with interest rates, that QT seems to have just slipped a little bit from everyone's radar, it's sort of in the backdrop, but not catching a, a lot of commentary at this point. What's happening? We've got, what, $9 trillion, uh, the balance, $9 trillion balance sheet, we've got some culling that's been taking place here fairly aggressively, but it's not seemingly impacting the market. Is this the Fed with its tools being very effective at this stage, or is there something to come when it uh, is uh, a QT that's rocked the market before? Yeah. So again, I, I think I think the Fed has been actually very tepid 
meaning you haven't really seen the QT yet. It was supposed to have started a few months ago, but instead the MBSs, they've actually been adding uh, mortgages to the balance sheet, then with you know, taking them down. So we haven't actually seen uh, QT happen in its earnest. And I'm just wondering why that hasn't existed just yet. And then ultimately, uh, if they if they end up doing that uh, to the tune they expect, you know, thirty five billion or so uh, a month, um, what effect does that have? Uh, given the fact that the Fed funds rate has come up and most likely is going to head even higher, um, you know, ultimately these dynamics are just, you know, um, you know, could ultimately stress uh, global economies, stress markets. And, you know, yet we've seen volatility uh, pretty much die recently, too. So, like I said, I think this is a, a time where markets, to me, feel like they're on a collision course with the Fed. Uh, markets uh, in general, I think, and valuation moving forward seem to be a bit artificial. And I just think ultimately, you know, we're going to we're going to be revisiting, you know, an S&P index that's around 400 or below. David, thanks for the calls today. I appreciate you uh, giving us some time over summer as well. David Newhouse with us, the CIO at Livermore Partners. Our US colleagues will be looking for a sense of which way the wind is blowing at the Federal Reserve when they speak to Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin. We had a whole host of speakers over the course of this week, and I think all interesting from various different perspectives. Kashkari, of course, has been fascinating, and Mary Daly, of course, uh, around her 50 basis point suggestion as well. But uh, Thomas Barkin going to be weighing in, so don't miss that exclusive interview at 1600 CET. Um, is there anything odd about tackling inflation by spending more money? Well, governments don't seem to think so. The US House of Representatives is slated to pass the Inflation Reduction Act later today before sending it to the President's desk to be signed into law. It's the final hurdle then effectively for this piece of legislation which would see $430 billion spent on a swathe of reforms to US tax, climate and healthcare legislation. Still to come on the program then, pharma freefall, major European drug makers come under pressure amid fears of litigation related to Zantac. We'll have more on that story in just a moment. And for more on how Livermore Partners, David Newhauser is positioning his portfolio as the Fed attempts a soft landing. You can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Investors fear that pharma companies GSK, Hallion and Sanofi could be on the hook for billions of dollars in potential damages over a heartburn drug that was pulled from the market back in 2020 over allegations it was linked to cancer cases. Shares in the drug makers uh, experienced heavy losses, with GSK at one point seeing its worst one-day retreat since 1998. Well, Juliana has uh, joined us on the program, especially to talk about this particular topic. And Juliana, what do we know so far about the connection between 
Zantec and any cancer risk? Well, Jeff, good morning, and thank you for having me. This is certainly a major story brewing in the pharma space. At this point, there is a lot of uncertainty as to whether there is, in fact, a link between this heartburn drug and cancer. A number of plaintiffs in the U.S. Uh, are contending that this is indeed the case, that there is a link between this heartburn medication, a particular component in it, and cases of cancer. So let me um, first take a look at the share price reaction before we dive into the details around this litigation because the share price moves have been extraordinary over the last two days really these are week to date charts but most of the sell-off came in the last two sessions GSK down more than 20 percent Halion the new spin-off from GFK GSK down nearly 14 percent and Sanofi the pharma giant down 13 percent these are not typical moves in what is usually a defensive sector and these are behemoths in the sector these are not bio tech stock. So massive share price moves. This has been a long-standing issue and an overhang for a number of years, but it's really just this week that investors began to care and began to speculate around what may come. In terms of what is Zantac, it's a drug to relieve heartburn. It was originally invented by GSK back in the 80s. It was a, tr it was a prescription drug then, and then it transitioned to become an over-the-counter drug. It was withdrawn from the market in 2019, and the FDA was concerned around this potential link between the active ingredient in Zantec and cancer. Um, since then, more than 2,000 cases have built up that are have been filed in the United States. The first trial begins on August 22nd, so we are fast approaching the first insight we may get into what the court in the U.S. thinks about these claims. Now, the plaintiffs contend that GSK was aware of the potential harm at the time of launch. This is an incredibly complicated set of cases, as is always the case with litigation, but in particular because the patent for this drug expired in 1997. So there have been multiple manufacturers, distributors, retailers of the drug named as defendants. There have also been multiple owners of the OTC or over-the-counter rights of the drug. The chief pharma companies, though, involved GSK, Sanofi, and Pfizer. That's why these are the names that are in focus this week. Halion, on the other hand, may have only a tangential link to these cases. We, of course, only had Halion spin off from GSK earlier this summer. Um, in terms of what the analysts are saying, a little bit of insight for you. Credit Suisse has said, as with all legal outcomes, there are considerable uncertainties. That is particularly true in this case, where many companies have been involved in the ownership of Zantec rights over time. Now, many analysts have said that the, the share price reactions we've seen are really knee-jerk and overdone. But speaking to investors over the last couple of days, they are incredibly fearful because this has echoes of what we saw with Bayer Monsanto. And guys, I will just leave you with this one last comment around Buyer Monsanto around that that comment that in contrast to Bayer's Roundup issue, Zantec has been withdrawn by regulators around the world. Also, in terms of case numbers, we're looking at about 2,000 cases, a little bit more right now. Bayer Monsanto had 130,000 cases. Now, uh, the three companies have distanced themselves from these claims, Sanofi, Halion, GSK, all coming out in the last 24 hours or so with statements. Uh, but of course, this is a, an issue that will be a long time before it is resolved. And guys, happy to chat through um, other implications, but it, it's certainly a notable story, as you can see with these share price moves.
Just a couple of points here, Giuliano. First up, uh, Sanofi seemed to be travelling okay year-to-date on its stock market performance before this story hit. So the negative implications clearly there as it is front and centre as we talk about the story. But the other points, uh, I think, around Halion, I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about this spin-off from GSK. And you've got to wonder whether this was at all on the company's radar at that time. Uh, it's delicious to get this one away before the market has any concept that there could be some liabilities looming. And if we now look at the statement... Uh, it, it is, as I just picked through it, that they were not aware of any material developments in relation to the Zantac litigation since that prospectus was issued on the 1st of June this year, not party to any of the claims, never marketed the product, um, not primarily liable. But then they talk about uh, indemnity, that they may be required to pay GSK and Pfizer if any of the following conditions are met. So it feels like this could just go on where they eventually something crops up. They end up, su- end up suing another company. That company sues another company. This could be a huge case, legal case for the industry. Absolutely, Karen. And in terms of that prospectus, this was flagged as a risk. In every prospectus, there will be a list of risks outlined. This is hundreds of pages, this report. And Zantec litigation had its own one and a half page section. Now, just like with Bayer Monsanto, investors in Halion largely chose to look through this as a major potential risk. And we are just weeks now out from that prospectus hitting the market. You mentioned it was in June, so it wasn't long ago. Again, very similar to what happened with Bayer Monsanto. The Monsanto litigation was flagged as a risk back then for buyer shareholders as this deal came through. And again, those shareholders largely looked through it. In terms of what this could mean in terms of settlement charges, to give you a sense of what's being floated in the industry, how big these settlements could be, um, Credit Suisse has said that this will depend on the strength that the court sees that any link between an MDA, this uh, this key compound, and cancer, and any evidence of wrongdoing. And I've seen many analysts quote that previous drug settlements have ranged from 30,000 to 270,000 per claimant based on evidence of wrongdoing. And again, we're now looking at over 2,000 cases. But if this number builds, then of course the overall sum of potential settlements will also swell. Interesting, Julianne. I was just having a look around at um, the European angle to this story. And if you go onto the NHS website or you look at the European Medicines Agency, they talk about uh, renatidine, which is effectively the drug and then Zantec was the brand name under which it was sold in the United States I think and some European markets here but interestingly just as you've pointed out with the United States all of these products were taken off the market back in 2020 now we're only talking about this evolving legal action in the United States often we see the US act first and then we see European authorities climb on the back of the bandwagon. What is the potential risk here, do you think, of any litigation spreading to the UK or to Europe if it appears to be successful in courts in the United States? Well, Jeff, um, as always, the U.S. legal system is is more sweeping when it comes to this kind of litigation. In the prospectus uh, of Halion, or GSK's prospectus, in the lead-up to the spin-off of Halion, they mentioned the European Medicines Agency and the fact that they, too, pulled this drug from the market. So, uh, again, in contrast to what we saw from Bayer Monsanto, this drug is no longer on the shelves anywhere. But, of course, you would expect that if there are findings of a link between uh, 
cancer and this key com compound that that would hold true wherever this drug was used throughout the world. Again, adding complexity to these cases. Not only was this drug sold as a prescription and then over the counter, it was also sold in its generic form. So this is a sprawling case. This drug, very widespread. Heartburn, obviously something that people are experiencing worldwide. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.